Welcome to your Thursday edition of Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Excited today because Anthony Edwards from the Timberwolves will join us here in just a few minutes on the show, as will Sarah McClellan to talk a little bit about the Wild and its big stretch of games coming up and kind of a defining moment in their season. I will also, uh, per a reader request, a listener request also, um, assign an Oasis song to every Minnesota pro sports team out there, you know, since Minnesota United already claimed Wonderwall. But first, you might be wondering, what did I miss? And everybody stop me if you've heard this one before. Twofold message here. Gophers men's basketball loses on the road to Indiana. I know that's a shock. Okay, it's not really a shock. 0-8 now on the road, and uh, maybe just as damaging Gabe Kalsher, um, their very good guard, breaks a finger, uh, might miss some significant amount of time, and there's not much time left in this season for uh, for the Gophers to kind of pull out of this and to get a road win. I was looking at the standings um, just a little bit ago, you guys. Uh, every team that's either tied with the Gophers in the Big Ten standings or above them in the Big Ten standings, the Gophers are 6-9 and nine right now in the Big Ten standings, Every team that's either tied or above them has three or more road wins. Gophers still have zero. It is unbelievable and kind of feels like at this point it's becoming a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? When you have so much struggle uh, in a particular thing, you know, you, it, gets, it becomes part of your identity. It gets in your head. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, even with, uh, with Marcus Fuller from, uh, you know, from the Star Tribune. It's a mental thing at a certain point where you don't have that confidence because you don't have the experience of finding success on the road. So the Gophers go to Indiana. They're in the game the whole way, but Indiana pulls away late. The, the second half, again, does Minnesota in. They fall to 6-9 and nine in the Big Ten, 13-9 overall. I don't know what that's going to do for their NCAA tournament chances. They've got a big one against Illinois this weekend. And they've got you know some winnable games beyond that, but boy, they got to start winning games, right? You can't just you can't just say, well, we did this before. You got to you got to keep doing it if you're going to get into the NCAA tournament. Second thing I want to point out: Timberwolves again. Stop me if you've heard this one. They play well. It's a pretty interesting game. I think they're they're more interesting lately than they were two or three weeks ago. Um, Anthony Edwards, like I said, who will join us, has been much better lately. But they build a double-digit lead against the Pacers, and they lose in overtime, 134 to 128. There are no categories, as far as I know, in the NBA standings, at least, for moral victories. Um, the NHL standings kind of do have moral victory standings when you get the shootout loss and you get the point. Um but the NBA does not have a, a spot in the standings for moral victories. That said, like I said, I think they're playing better, but they're they're kind of full, they're kind of part of this self-fulfilling prophecy that they can't get it done right now in the fourth quarter. They have played eleven straight games now that have been decided by single digits. A lot of them even, you know, small single digits, very close. Pacers game, obviously a six point game, but that's an overtime game. That that feels like it definitely counts as Really, really close. They are three and eight in those eleven games. In five of those eight losses, they had a lead in the fourth quarter. In two of those losses, they had a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter, including against the Pacers when they were up ten 
early in the fourth quarter. Whether it's offensive execution, whether it's defensive execution, whether it's bad luck in some cases, it too is becoming kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy for the Timberwolves. If you don't experience that fourth quarter success enough anyway, you don't have that confidence to close out games. You don't have the right kind of combination to make those three or four winning plays at the end that a more veteran team might have. Now, they almost did it last night in spite of everything. Anthony Edwards had a look from three-point range with the game tied at the end of regulation. It was halfway down, if not more, rattles out. They end up going to overtime and losing, but Really, the game could have been closed out a lot earlier than that. They had a five-point lead in the final minute. Little things, little possessions, they all add up, and it really all adds up, just like the Gophers men's basketball team, to a a mentality where you don't feel like you can get it done, and until you overcome that, the outcomes are going to continue to be the same. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Really, really excited to have Anthony Edwards on the podcast today. To my knowledge, the first number one overall pick I've ever had on the show. Anthony, welcome. How you doing? I'm blessed, man. I can't complain. What about you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, I'm going to dive right in because... You know, I've been impressed with watching you lately, and I'm just, especially in the context of everything that's been thrown at you, I've just been thinking like 90 days ago, basically, you got drafted. And in a normal year, 90 days from draft day to now would have been start a training camp. Instead, you've, you're like almost 30 games into your NBA career. Have you had a chance to kind of think about everything that's happened in the last three months and just take it all in? Nah, man, I don't even think about it. I just, I just love the game of basketball, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm just blessed to be able to play it every day. It's hard to process, though, I imagine, just like where you were, you know, the night before the draft to right now, I would think. Uh, I mean, I've been working for it, so it's hard to process with me. I'm just I'm happy to be in this situation. Your efficiency has been improving lately. That's one thing I've noticed on the court. Is that kind of a just a natural progression? Is that anything in particular that you're doing differently on the court? Uh it's just my work ethic, um, me going to the gym late night after the game, uh, just putting up extra shots, just, you know, staying consistent with my work. At this point, what do you feel like is where, – where are you most comfortable? I mean, you look comfortable handling the ball, working the screen and rolls. I imagine having Cat back helps quite a bit. Where Where's your comfort zone out there right now? Um, anywhere coach needs me to be, for real. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Uh, off the ball, on the ball, rebounding. Uh, guarding the best player, whatever he wants me to do, I'm 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 there to take the challenge. There was a moment in the uh, the game, I believe Tuesday night against the Lakers. Um, you know, you had 28 points in that game. It was a really nice, you know, really good scoring effort. But I think it's like tie game, third quarter. You get matched up on LeBron. Not like it hadn't happened before, but um, he gets switched out on you. You're out on the perimeter. You rise up, you drill a three over him. You got a smile, and I can see the smile all the way from the on the TV. You're you're smiling pretty big. Do you do you remember that moment? And did that feel like a moment to you? Uh, definitely was a moment, but uh, my smile wasn't really because I hit the three on him. My smile was because I scored a bucket. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. yeah, but no, nah, it's definitely a great feeling to score over one of the best players that ever played the game. 
you know, it was a dream come true. But yeah, I was just I was just having a big smile because I was just happy we was, you know, we competed this time around that we played them. That had nothing to do with shooting it over the one of the greatest players of all time. Nah, not when I not nah. Mm-mm. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. So you're, you're definitely, you're definitely staying humble this year. What, what, you know, facing so many players like that, what, what is it like, you know, competing against the guys like LeBron night in and night out? Uh, you don't compete against a LeBron night in and night out. So yeah, that's true. I tell you what it's like. I only played him twice. So like I said, he's one of, if not, if probably the greatest uh, all around player to me, but you don't compete against nobody like that night in and night out. Never. So I, I can't tell you how that feels. But what about just like, you know, you're playing against guys you probably watched, you know, growing up and, you know, when you were younger, what, what's it like being on the court with those, with the same players like that? Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's fun really to be playing against them and watching them at the same time. Cause when you're on the court, if you're not guarding them, you're watching them, like what they do, how they move, you know, how they, how they approach the game, their mindset and, you know, everything that they do when it comes to basketball. Let's let's talk about big big picture goals for this year and then beyond, and then we'll let you then we let you get out of here. What what do you what can you become? Where where can we take this? Um, I don't know, man. It's just I gotta work before I can say what what I can become or where can I take it. I gotta work first. Uh, the work come first, and the goals and accomplishment accomplishments come later. So I can't really say you know what's gonna happen. I just gotta keep working like I've been doing, and you know stay true to myself, stay humble, and see where it's going to take me. Hey, congrats on a, a successful first season so far and, and good luck with everything that's to come. All right. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Take care. Enjoyed talking to Anthony and it is still, even if he doesn't feel like he's had a hard time processing it, I have a hard time processing it. I think it still feels wild to me that it was exactly three months ago today that he was drafted and here he is almost 30 games into his NBA career. Speaking of wild, uh, and yes, I did force that transition on purpose, I want to talk a little bit about the hockey team now because we might have forgotten about them a little bit when they missed two weeks, but uh, they are back. They play Thursday night in Anaheim, and uh, it's kind of a critical stretch for them. So let's talk some wild right now. Really happy to be joined right now by Sarah McClellan, my second, second-time guest on the podcast. Chris Hine beat you to the first, second-time guest uh, on her earlier this week. Uh, Sarah covers the Wild for the Star Tribune, does a great job of it. Sarah is out in California right now, covered the uh, Wild's restart against the Kings on Tuesday. We'll be in, uh, in Anaheim for the games Thursday and Saturday. Sarah, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. So a little bit of a ragged restart um, Tuesday. Maybe we can start with the game since it was the first game in two weeks and then kind of kind of as expected, I guess, but maybe even maybe even worse, uh, worse so than that. What, what did we see on the ice in that four nothing loss? It very much did look like a team that was playing for the first time in two weeks against an opponent that hasn't stopped playing. You know, I think the discrepancy was very clear. Got a little exacerbated on the scoreboard, obviously, with a couple goals late in the third period. Um, but there was a disconnect there, clearly. And I just, I, I think what I really stood out to me early on um, in the first period was just the pace. And I think that was probably going to be one of the most noticeable changes was the Wild just trying to get its legs. But the Kings were pushing it and, and I think they could kind of tell they had an opponent that, you know, was trying to find its way back into game action. I remember there was one, one play where I think the Kings went offside in the first period and they could have touched the puck and immediately a whistle would have been gone, but instead they left it and touched up and forced the wild to keep playing and not get a break, not get a whistle. 
just little instances like that. I think teams are probably aware of the schedule, what's going on, you know, a rusty opponent. And it clearly looked like that, you know, even though it was a one, nothing, two, nothing game for most of it, you know, the disparity was there on the ice. And so I think for the wild, it was just like, get that one out of the way, um, you know, and, and, and try to continue to get the practice reps to get up to speed. Having said that, it was still a lineup that, you know, is clearly a long ways off still from being, you know, what this team usually rolls out. Nine regulars were missing. Four out of the six defensemen were playing their first game this season, including an NHL debut. The entire fourth line wasn't, you know, on the ice for opening night. Uh, it, it was a different look. So I think that plays into it too. But clearly the team is going to need to find its legs and get up to speed because, you know, the teams it's going to be playing in this West division, most of them haven't had a stop. Um, they've been able to keep playing and build momentum. And even a team like the Kings that, you know, on the whole has struggled. It was below the wild in the standings. Uh, Los Angeles was going into the game Tuesday. Now it, you know, now the Kings leapfrog them and moved ahead. Um, teams are in kind of mid season form in mid February and the wild has to find that level again. How long do you think that takes? I mean, and how much of it is legs versus getting players back? And they do get a few guys back probably for the Anaheim game Thursday. Is that right? Yeah. Nick Benino, Ian Cole, Nico Sturm, three regulars uh, who are expected to play Thursday, um, you know, travel to California and, you know, getting a few sessions under their belt. And you're right. I think that's one thing between like practicing and like, you know, they need that, they need that work. They need that ice time, but a game is completely different. And the only way to get that is to go through this. And I, and I don't think this road trip can be used as a feeling out process. It, it's, it's too important. Five games, you know, that's 10 points up for grabs. That's a major swing in the standings, especially, you know, when you're only playing your division, it's a 56 game schedule. Like they can't use this road trip to get back to, you know, being themselves. They have to find that quick. So I think these two games in Anaheim, you know, will really be critical and, Really, you know, it's, it's kind of like what I wrote about a few days ago, this, you know, how this team reacts to this stoppage, how it comes out um, from these circumstances will probably define the season, you know, other, you know, they either overcome it, they find their groove, they're competitive, whether or not they make the playoffs, but they, they overcome it. And, you know, something else defines their trajectory this season or they crater. And, you know, this is the beginning of the end. And, you know, in hindsight, it was, well, it was very tough. It was so tough to recover from the time off, the missing players in the lineup, this probably is the most significant make or break point of the season. Well, not only that, but <clears throat> I believe all six of those games they missed have been rescheduled now, right? And so that, how much does that compress the rest of their season? I know the NHL kind of built in some buffers, but but how, where does that leave them with, you know, some, you know, some, some compressed scheduling pockets now? It is busier and, you know, I think a couple more back-to-backs, but, you know, some of the breaks that they were going to have, for example, next week, um, you know, there was kind of a lull that's gone. You know, this road trip has been extended. Um, you know, there's a stop now in San Jose, you know, next Monday, there's a stop in Colorado uh, next Wednesday. So those kind of pockets where, you know, maybe you mix some practice time, you work on some things, but also you get rest which so far looking at how the wild was kind of operating before this pause, that was very key for them. They were really managing workload and paying attention to, um, you know, getting away from the rink and using that maybe as more of an advantageous help to the team than practice time. 
that's going to have to be managed differently now because, you know, there is just less time in between these games. You add in the travel, like I said, some more back-to-backs. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they juggle that um, because right now, you know, they're, the emphasis is on practice, get the reps, get back into a group, find some lines with some chemistry up front. Um, but still, once they get back into this rhythm, this every other day back-to-backs, I wonder, you know, that struggle if rest starts to – maybe become more valuable to them. It's, it's an interesting dynamic. It's one, you know, every team's facing, but especially these teams, I think that have had their schedule revamped and it's just a little bit more compact now. They're going to need some of these taxi squad guys, especially in the, the near term, maybe even, you know, if there are spots where players need rest are, you know, probably too soon to tell off of one game, but do you get the sense that there are, any of these players who could stick for, you know, for longer than just this kind of cup of coffee as needed. Do you, do, are there players that are genuinely curious to see what they can do with this opportunity? I'm curious to see how they handle Kalen Addison. Um, he's obviously the rookie who made his NHL debut Tuesday at Los Angeles and, you know, didn't look out of place. You know, it was kind of a, a rare debut in that he played almost 20 minutes. Um, That's a lot for, yeah. Most minutes on that blue line behind only Matt Dumba and, and, and Addison's defensive partner and Ryan Suter. Uh, so the veterans that you'd expect, but to play a rookie, you know, almost 20 minutes, um, put him on the power play, put him on the ice, you know, late in the game when, you know, at that point, the world was still trying to, to break Jonathan Quick's shutout bid and get a goal. Uh, you know, the, the team didn't seem to shy away from utilizing him. And so it obviously speaks a little bit to the circumstances. This was obviously, like I said, you know, a shorthanded um, wild blue line, you know, a lot of regulars out. But I think it also speaks to, you know, the poise that he had, the potential that he has to settle into an NHL player um, for this team down the road. And, you know, it's an opportunity for him to get that face time, get acclimated. And it'll be interesting to see once players do start to come back, um, if, if he hangs around in a taxi squad role, does he go back to Iowa in the minors and, and get more game action that way? This is a season obviously key for his development long term, but it'll be interesting to see if they kind of keep him around because, um, you know, they, they weren't afraid, obviously, it looked like to play him, uh, you know, against the Kings. And, and that's a big, heavy, rugged lineup. Um, and he certainly looked like he held his own. The head coach, Dean Evison, seems like, you know, from at least the distance that I generally watch from like someone who's not afraid to kind of ride the hot hand or, you know, kind of mix and match. And you described it with, you know, playing the, you know, the, the guy making his debut almost 20 minutes. He's, he's about a year, a little bit more into his coaching tenure. Now, does that describe him well, or what, what else can you say about what you think he's brought to the table as the head coach of the wild? You know, you're right. It, it has been just over a year you know, since he took over. And I think he's been very clear in his messaging. I think it's been very consistent and it's that it's the team. It is about the wild and he isn't labeling lines, first line, second line, third line. Um, he's made it clear that like, it doesn't matter who you're playing with. You're playing with a teammate. It's about the wild. And I think we've seen some spillover effect to this messaging and the fact that, you know, in some instances, you know, maybe not Tuesday night, but in some instances when the Wild have had, you know, to plug in taxi squatters and revamp the lineup and they've been dealt adversity or they've fallen behind by multiple goals, the team has rallied. You know, I think back to that, that uh, win over Colorado in overtime, you know, back at XL Energy Center a couple of games before everything stopped. 
Um, and that lineup was decimated and, you know, they still found a way. And I think it goes back to the tone that he's setting that it's about the team and it's, you know, everyone involved and it makes sense because, you know, there is Kirill Kaprizov, there is Kevin Fiala, you know, there is a Ryan Suter on the back end and Matt Dumba. But if this team is going to have sustainable success right now, as it's constructed in 2021, it needs everybody. It needs the fourth line. It needs the penalty killers. It needs the first line to deliver. It needs steady goaltending. It's not going to be an Austin Matthews, a Connor McDavid, a Sidney Crosby setting the tone. It is all hands on deck. And I think Dean Evison has been very consistent in that messaging. And it seems to be on display with how the team is performing when it does have success. Glad you mentioned Kaprizov because you you talked about Evison, you know, the team, team, team. I want to talk about individual. Do we still have Kaprizov mania right now or or before even this pause or, or was were teams playing him differently or starting to figure him out in a certain way? I think there's still intrigue there. You know, I, I think actually in the Tuesday return, I think he was probably one of the, the few players that stood out that it looked like he had his legs. He was totally trying to push the pace. Um, the Kings, you know, even though it was like the fifth time Los Angeles had faced Wild, they had trouble, you know, containing him. And he was still getting behind the defense. He was still creating, you know, pressure, looks, opportunity. So I think he's still, you know, obviously very much at the forefront of this offense. Um, it, but, you know, there's ebbs and flows and there was a big, you know, stopping point, obviously, for this team. How does he come out of it? How does he continue to maybe find his way in his rookie season? I think he's still going to be very much, you know, in that conversation in terms of, you know, an offensive leader, somebody who's taking off, you know, in this league to potentially become a very, you know, franchise defining player. I, I think they're still there. And I, I think it, you know, he probably won't not be there because of his work ethic. Like this is a player that, you know, whenever you peek up from practice, he's still on the ice. Like he is always, it seems like the last player off the ice. He always has a puck on a stick. He always seems to be working on something. Like there just seems to be this inner drive there that like it's, it's, you know, maybe it's rare. Maybe it's, maybe this is what the elite players have, but with that type of motor and passion, I just can't see him fading to the background. He just seems like he is so committed to this. And in games, like I said, it's it clearly felt like a lopsided game, you know, in that return Tuesday. And he's hunting and pushing and trying and chipping pucks in. And so I think he's still very much kind of, you know, pushing the envelope for this team on the ice. And that's what, you know, this wild offense needs. That's probably a good news for wild fans. Last thing, Kevin Fiala, um, you know, probably their one of their best players probably with their best pure goal scorer still at, at this point, he had an even longer layoff because he had the three game suspension right before um, the, the COVID layoff. Where, where's his game and, and how does he kind of resume a season that, you know, was starting to get on track and then got, you know, derailed in two different ways. Yeah. He's very much, I think, yeah. Like the rest of the team needing to find his footing after this break. Cause you're right. It was longer for him. He had the three game boarding suspension, but I think, you know, what plays into his favor and his advantage to try to get going is he's one of those players that the puck just finds him. Like there are those players and you probably see it across all levels of sports, whether yeah. it's soccer or basketball or high school tent, like, like they're just athletes that have that knack and, you know, the ball, the puck, it finds them and it's around them. And that is him. He, you know, there were chances obviously Tuesday 
And he was just kind of in the, in the thick of things. And I think that's, you know, that's his positive for his game is even if the production isn't there, he may be frustrated. Pucks aren't going in. Something's going to happen. Like he's just doesn't seem to be a player that fades to the background. So I think that's encouraging for the wild is that he's involved. He's in the thick of things. He's obviously someone who needs to engineer and create offense. Um, the execution has to be there, whether it's from him or his line mates. Um, but you're right. He, you know, I think aside from Kaprizov is counted on to be this tone setter for this offense and somebody who really ignites the drive up ice and uh, a lot of expectations. I think, you know, probably peripheral pressure uh, for him to be that player after what he showcased late last season. Um, but like I said, he's around it, you know, and I think that's the first step. If the puck wasn't even, you know, by him, if he wasn't getting shots, if he wasn't getting looks, that'd probably be more concerning. Um, but I think, you know, as he and the Wild play more games, if he starts to take off, that could really be the spark that the team needs to kind of get on that run and start to, you know, close the gap and capitalize on the games at hand. You'll cover the Thursday game in Anaheim. I'm sure you're excited to be covering games again, too, is it's not just a COVID break for the team. It was two weeks where you didn't get to cover a game after, you know, a long, a long wait to start the season. So, um Follow Sarah's work. Um, she's very active on Instagram. Follow her on Twitter. And obviously, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. Sarah McClellan, thank you so much for joining me today here on the Daily Delivery Podcast. Thanks. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Interesting stuff from Sarah, as always. Really enjoy talking to her and uh, getting her knowledge of the wild and that beat. And uh, yeah, let, we'll have her on the show uh, many times going forward. Okay, file this one under whimsy. We're going to spend a couple minutes here. Um, Matt Wells' listener said, basically he sent me a, a Twitter message, said, can you give a, an Oasis song to every team uh, in, in, in Minnesota? Um, at first he said an In Excess song, and I was very confused. And he said, why did I say In Excess? I meant, I meant Oasis because obviously the Minnesota United uh, plays uh, Wonderwall after, after all home victories. So here's my quick attempt at assigning an Oasis song to every Minnesota pro team. And I'm sure Ben Gessling, by the way, uh, our Vikings writer, will love this because we have a long-standing thing where he's a big Oasis guy. And I, I say Blur is the better Britpop band of the 90s, very specific categories. But okay, Oasis songs. Champagne Supernova, interesting, easy. Lynx, what do you do when you win a championship? You pour champagne they are the only ones to have done that in the last 30 years. Don't look back in anger. That is your Minnesota Vikings for reasons that should be self-evident. Lila, I'm going to give this one to the Timberwolves, uh, not because of any specific uh, reference to the title, but there is a lyric in it that says, I believe at the right start of the song, she believes in everything and everyone and you and yours and mine. That is the kind of fundamental requirement for being a Timberwolves fan right now, that you believe in everything and that things are going to get better. Morning Glory. What's the story, Morning Glory? Twins. I, I, I'm going to say twins on that one. I feel like they, um, I don't know what they're up to right now. I, I think they're good, but I, I want to see, I want to see what they've got come October. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't want to get greedy. I think, you know, having a team that's good and has regular season success like that that's wonderful and it you shouldn't discredit a season just because it doesn't go well in the playoffs but i want to know what the story is here i want to know how how far can this thing go 
Last one, the shock of the lightning I'm giving to the wild. I struggled to find one for the wild, quite honestly, but settled on this one. I don't know this song all that well, but I would have to say the shock of the lightning applies because Tampa Bay has won two Stanley Cups. The wild has won zero. I would say that is a shocking fact to the Minnesota wild. So there you go, Matt Wells. I've given all of the local teams a uh, an Oasis song to play before and after games. Let's end things with the cooler. Serena Williams loses in the semifinals of the Australian Open to Naomi Osaka. Immediately, people start to wonder, is she going to retire? Is this it? Have we seen the last of her? Is this the last bid for a Grand Slam championship for uh, for one of the all-time greats? I don't know. Um, I don't think she knows yet. Um, she's 39, which is old in tennis years, old in athlete years, not really old in human years, I hope, because she's five years younger than me. But let's just let's give her some space, right? I, I, I hate when we when we insist an athlete make a decision right away or wonder what they're going to do and, and forget to enjoy whatever time is left. So whatever Serena does, she's earned it. And uh, l- let's hope she plays some more. It would be, be great to see her play some more. But she will make that decision. She will be the first one to know. And she will let us know uh, when she's ready to make that decision. That will do it for today. Thank you for joining me here on the Thursday Daily Delivery Podcast. Friday should be lots of fun. We've got Teresa Resch, uh, executive from the Toronto Raptors, and uh, Minnesota native, on the show, as well as a, a, fun, a fun new uh, segment with Randball Stew, Steve Newman. So listen for that on Friday. Thanks for listening today. Follow me always, StarTribune, com, and listen and download this podcast as much as humanly possible. Mm-hmm.